Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who almost had a perfect sports weekend, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? It was a, a relatively good Week. Is there any almost outside of UT for me? I'm trying to uh, trying to rack my brain on the the Ravens momentarily sounded like they were going to get Cooper Cup. That was an almost. I don't know. I don't know. It was it was very good on the forty. There was some closes, uh, some really good, some almost, but still pretty good. Right? Like there's nothing devastating, but uh, all in all, pretty good weekend. Pretty solid weekend overall. I mean, I was hoping that Texas would become just the third school to have both the men and the women claim the conference tournament championships, but that's okay. So we're here to talk about that, actually. We're going to talk quite a bit about basketball today. Both the men and the ladies had a strong showing in the conference tournament. The men closed it out and cut down the nets. The ladies lost in the finale. Both saw their names called as part of the NCAA tournament field. Baseball trying to build some momentum heading in to conference play. Softball saw its winning streak snapped, but came away with a couple of big wins in the weekend series. Tennis starting to get things moving in the right direction. Swimming, setting up for a championship run. And obviously, we'll close the show out with some burnt orange lenses, bang the drum, and all that fun stuff in between. But we start with the number five team in the land in the final AP poll. The Texas Longhorn men finished off the Big 12 tournament, snagging a number two seed. In the Midwest region, finishing the regular season with their highest ranking in school history, I guess tied for their highest ranking in school history. For their trouble, Marcus Carr and Rodney Terry both racked up several awards slash nomination. Marcus Carr is for the Lute Olson Player of the Year Award. Rodney Terry, on top of being the Big 12 Coach of the Year, has already been named the Sporting News Coach of the Year. It is one of the finalists for the Naismith, the Phelan, and the Ben Job Coach of the Year as well. Texas did it, got it done, even though we know that the fi- the conference tournaments really don't matter all that much going into seeding. Texas got it done with a 20-point decisive win over Kansas. I think it's like, what, three of the last five over Kansas? Something crazy like that? Uh, five of the last seven? Five of the last seven, that's right. This is becoming a, a capital T thing, and I couldn't love it more. Who who doesn't love it? 76-56 to 56 over Kansas, outscoring them by 14 in the second half to get it done, Dylan DeSue led Texas with 18.6 boards. Marcus Carr did his thing, 17. Serge Abari Rice got it done with 17. I think the big thing for me was it was good to see Texas win in a dominant fashion with Tyrese Hunter and Dylan Mitchell having absolute stinkers. And no Timmy Allen, right? Like the, the, This was the big three we haven't necessarily seen all year. DeSue, by the way, just... It, has been unleashed. I think it's a bit of a secret weapon that Terry was holding all year, um, has been unleashed in the conference tournament, had his first double-double um, in this tournament, and then went on to be MOP of the tournament, right? That three straight double-digit point games, um, was the leading scorer in two out of the three games, I believe, in, in the Big 12 tournament. I mean, just coming out of nowhere, we knew Marcus Carr would get it going again. He had a couple down games. Um, we knew Serge Barry Rice was, you know, phenomenal player who had like one kind of down game but got it back up to where it needed to be um 
the the Hunter Mitchell Allen right one of those guys stepping up to join that three is really dangerous and then you know this team has Arterio Morris uh, who you know can score that's all I'll say um they have Brock Cunningham who can come in and change the dynamic you know they they they're there's, there's legitimately, you won't go super deep in the NCAA tournament. You just don't have to. Christian Bishop, who had a big game uh, in the tournament, like they, they're legitimately eight, nine deep to give teams different looks. But the the having a, a, a big man who can score, pop out, shoot, uh, hit his free throws, do all the things Disu is doing right now, really makes this team interesting. If he can stay out of foul trouble um, and, and, you know, play 25 30 minutes tonight where he's been playing 18 22 minutes uh, throughout the season if he can really extend those minutes i think it's an extra dimension for teams um and and really the offense aside i mean this was a defensive masterclass the the kansas game but the entire tournament right the the, the wins over oklahoma state and tcu in route to the title they gave up just 54 points per game across the three let teams shoot 35%. And key, Gerald, we'll talk about this in our next section. Um, they only gave up 26% from the three-point line. Now, you could say, hey, three unlucky teams, the shots weren't falling. Um, but I think there is something there. They also did that at the Kansas, the last game of the season. So basically, their last four games, they've really run people off the line very well. And again, we'll talk about why that is critically important to the start of March Madness. But uh, for the Big 12 tournament, really great showing. If, you know, they fell in the title game you could have said oh they didn't have Timmy Allen chalked it up to that and said it was a good performance but the team showed up showed out went all the way through got their their second one in you know three years basically uh so I like this I like the the new habits of this team of beating Kansas and winning trophies and I think playing solid defense right I think early in the Rodney Terry era we were concerned that Rodney Terry's penchant for defense or for offense was going to cost Texas defensively. And we saw that in a couple of spots. And I think seeing them course correct, not just in the Big 12 tournament, but over the last month or so, seeing them kind of lock that defense down uh, because defense travels, right? They're going to Des Moines, Iowa for the tournament. And so defense travels, offense may not be there all the time, but holding a team, you know, having a team with the firepower that Kansas, having just two players go into double figures, like that's an impressive outing for them, right? Right, but like holding Grady Dick, like, ba- like basically ineffective from the floor, like that's a massive thing. If you can do that to a player of his caliber, there's a lot that you can do in the tournament again, because the defense is going to travel with you, and defense really in the NCAA tournaments what gets it done. And so for their trouble, Texas now heads to Des Moines for the Midwest Regional, the number two seed in that bracket. They open up with the uh, number 15 team in the country, Colgate, who um, solid offensive team, doesn't play a ton of defense, which hopefully sets up a little bit better than the last uh, potentially uh, stumbling block that Texas faced in the NCAA tournament a few years ago. Yeah, a couple things on that, right? That they were, Abilene Christian was a team that was, you know, a great defensive team that that could, you know, be ruthlessly uh, efficient on the offense when they got hot, but really, you know, it was great defense and, you know, the the unsubstantiated but strongly believed rumor that Chris Beard helped his friend do the scouting report just get, you know, shock fired so he could take the Texas job. We know some things about Chris Beer. We might even talk about it later. Um, that doesn't seem, you know, below him by any standard. But yeah, nonetheless, that this this should be a different setup, hopefully, and a different outcome. Um, I think this is a better team, and I think this is um, 
a team that's more built to win this first game specifically, uh, you know, absolute minimum, right? Like we shouldn't even be talking about it, but we have had that stumble. We have had troubles. This has been like, you know, we, we don't want to just pretend like the past didn't happen because we had a good regular season, right? You need to prove it in, in March. You need to prove it in the tournament. They've, they've done so already by winning the conference championship, but the last time they did that is when they stumbled against Abilene Christian. So, Colgate is interesting, right? A really good offense, a top 50 offense. Um, the number that jumped out when this was announced um, quickly to everyone online was they're, sh- they're the only team in the country shooting above 40% from the three-point range. So remember my earlier comment that Texas in the Big 12 championship and, and dating back to Kansas, you know, in the four, four games ago, and really, honestly, through all Big 12, has been phenomenal running teams off the three-point line, not letting them get hot, right? A dunk or a three-pointer are great momentum starters and a three-pointer, you know, it does the most for the scoreboard. So um, if you can, if you can really limit uh, people from doing that, I think I think Texas is is just so much more athletic than this Colgate team. Which, admittedly, look, Colgate was an interesting and fun pick because they the Patriot League wasn't great, but they were, and they just had a really really solid season. It was one of those teams. I love mid majors. I love March Madness. It was one of those teams I was going to be watching, uh, regardless, hoping they would get you know the right matchup and and pop off on somebody. I don't think. For Texas's sake, that this is the right matchup. Now, again, I'm not saying this is a given or anything, but um, you know, Colgate being an, an efficient shooting team that runs pretty good offense doesn't have the athletes, you know, to hang with Texas. Doesn't play the type of swarming defense that you know could give Texas problems. Uh, leads me to think that even if Texas has an off shooting night, which is how they've been susceptible, turns the ball over more than than typical is how they've been susceptible. Um, a big, which Colgate doesn't necessarily have, uh, that that is dominant. Um, those are the things that have given Texas a little bit of trouble, and so because of that, I do feel like they should have a pretty comfortable um, comfortable start in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. So it's not necessarily like they're shooting a ton of volume, right? Like they're number 71 in number, 71st in the country and made three pointers per game. So there's like a, a, a line to toe there. Now th- this is going to come back and bite me in the keister. They're going to make 15 <laughs> of them against Texas in, uh, this weekend. But I think it's, it's all going to come down. Can they run them off the three point line? Can they force them out of their game plan? And we've seen Rodney Terry's team do that week in and week out. It's been a thing for them uh, in these last few weeks. Like, like we said, uh, that has been the thing that has been the most impressive for me in this run is that like Rodney Terry was not Chris Beard when it comes to how he coaches defense and the emphasis he puts on it but we saw the offense immediately take a surge forward and so if we said they could we said it right after the change happened if they could even normalize on defense they don't, they don't need to be what Chris Beard's team was doing defensively because that's not how Rodney Terry coaches but if they could get better this could be a really good team so for Texas now, if they can handle the Colgate Gators, I don't know what their actual mascot is, but Gators feels good. The toothpaste. Got them on t- the toothpaste? The, the Colgate The Colgate Minty Fresh is actually the what they call the themselves. The Colgate Cavities. <laughs> if they can handle them on Thursday in Des Moines, they will get to play in the round of 32. The winner of Texas A&M and Penn State. A&M fans salty. Uh, that they were penalized for both their bad non-conference and Buzz being kind of a, a mouthy, uh, salty jerk. But uh, so they've got they're a little bit underseated in that one, taking on Penn State. Um, 
it's more of a penalty to the other teams when a team is underseeded, much less the team itself. Like you could take it personally, but it honestly means you probably uh, have an easier path to the title than he would otherwise. So Texas potentially gets to play A&M for it to reach its first uh, Sweet 16 in quite a long time. Since 2008. Um, yeah, it's it's if they win Thursday, they have a Saturday matchup, right? Neither of these teams wants to look past their opening uh, matchup, right? That's the Colgate Raiders, Gerald, the Raiders. There we um, go. In New York, right? No one, I don't know that I knew that before they Maybe were announced. The Gators forever, I don't care. Yeah, the Cole Gators actually makes way more sense. But um, no, they, they they have to win that game. And then uh, A&M has, to, has, a, has a more difficult matchup, right? I think A&M should be favored in that one, you know, because they really, I think the Aggies were like in the net at like, top 25, right? They should have been a five seed. And, and I, you don't know, I'm not out here riding for the Aggies. The moment I saw they were a seven seed, I said, oh, we're the two. Like, we're the two immediately. It's it's They're setting up a Saturday ratings matchup between these two teams. I get it. Uh, but they didn't give them the easiest path necessarily. Penn State's probably the the best ninth seed, 10th seed, excuse me, in the, in the country. They are a team that had a good run, got hot late, probably deserved themselves to have an easier schedule, right? Like Gerald said it, when you underseed, you hurt the other teams. It gives Penn State... Which you know are, are are the oldest group text that Gerald and I are a part of are, are the four people in it. <laughs> Two of them are Longhorns. One's an Aggie, a uh, good friend of the show, Mario, who's never listened, and uh, and and Raymond, who uh, is a Penn State fan and uh, may actually listen at some point to this show for sure. Um, so maybe he hears he hears it. We'll be rooting for you, Raymond, to win. But no, the the A and M Texas matchup is. I get it. Why they want that? Why it's you know. You, it seems so appealing to the to the you know the the committee, and I don't think you could get away with getting Texas anything lower than a than a two, right? After Texas knocked Kansas out from being the overall number one seed with two blowouts in a week, I think they also played themselves into the fact you absolutely couldn't put them lower than a two, and so how are you going to get that matchup? Either you you, yep. you go it one round further, right, and you draw it up that way, or this is the one where it's you control the most variables, get those ratings. And you set this up. It's harder to guarantee or to bank on both teams making it to the second weekend, but it's pretty fair to, to say that Texas will likely make it to the second round, the round of 32. And it's only a three-point line, right? A&M is favored by three right now, according to several different sites, if you're into that kind of thing. But... um so there's, there's a legit chance that uh, Rodney Terry will likely be able to earn himself another year as the Texas head coach with a win over uh, the Texas A&M Aggies to get Texas to the Sweet 16. The narrative writes itself, and I'll give one key stat here. This is the the one thing to watch, right? We know there's been this weird narrative of Texas, you know, doesn't play in the first half and comes alive uh, in the second half, um, and, and that has worked, right? They're, when trailing at halftime, they're 7-8. and eight. Okay, they've gotten to 500 when trailing at halftime. That's pretty good. When Texas is leading at halftime, when they can start fast, they're 19-0. So Texas, if they can play defense, if they can get ahead in the first half, knowing that they have been a really good second-half team all year, so knowing that that is not a given, but that is the likely state of play, an early start in, in you know, obviously their first game and, and certainly in their second game is what you're looking for. That's my key indicator for this March Madness run as you're filling out your brackets. But they got a four seed out of it in the Seattle Regional, which... 
thankfully, they get to host the first two rounds at the Mood. So uh, Texas, if you don't know, is really good on the Moody Center floor. So fans pack it out. But a tough bracket for them. They've got Louisville potentially, or the winner of Louisville and, and Drake, which Drake is not a bad team either. And then they've got Stanford, Iowa, and South Carolina on their path to a championship. Uh, but Texas gets to at least gets to stay in Austin for this one uh, for for the first couple of games, hopefully or theoretically. Yeah, and that and that's a small feat, right? Like they were really really good at home, so getting home games is is phenomenal for this team, especially that Louisville team is dangerous. Like they scare me. Yeah. That's a that's a really good number. That's a really good five seed. Um, certainly the best five seed. I think you probably could have thrown them in at a four seed, and no one would have blinked an eye. Um, so it's going to be a good test. So getting that effectively as a home game will be will be huge for the Longhorns Helpful. like it like yeah like Gerald said if if they if they do beat Louisville oh well you get the reward of playing Stanford who Stanford has uh, ended Texas's uh, run in the recent past since Vic has been here so maybe there's a little bit of a little bit of redemption story there fortunately that game will be back on the west coast closer to Stanford territory I don't know that Stanford really has fans so what territory do they have <laughs> but um in in Seattle for the uh, for that regional if they do happen to you know get the Vic March magic and and uh, get that run going um, and get through number one Stanford. Again, you get rewarded by playing by far the toughest two seed. I would say one of the probably three hardest outs in this tournament, Iowa with Caitlin Clark, the best player in the country um, as you know, to win your, your region to go to the final four. And then again, I'm just gaming this out. If you get to the final four and you say, okay, we we've done it. We've made it past the elite eight. Can we get to a championship game? Then you have to go through the other player who's in contention for the National Player of the Year and the undisputed number one seed, uh, best team in the country, South Carolina. So absolutely brutal draw. Um, the home you know, court certainly helps to get uh, through to, to the, the round of 16. But, um, you know, it's going to take it's going to take this team doing all the things we know they can do, which is uh, the key indicator in this one. We've talked about it many, many times. Many, many times um, when Texas holds teams under 60 points, they win those games. They are undefeated when they hold the opponent under 60 points. They've won games where they've allowed more than 60, but they've never lost when they've held their opponent under 60 this season. They're the only team, in fact, in the country that has at least 20 games holding an opponent under 60 points. So I think they're 21-0 and in those games. So there is a very, very clear path to victory for this team they have to uh play some defense which against iowa state they tried it really was good up until the last minute of the third quarter and uh, ashley jones who's a great player uh scored her age i think um in points 28 of them she's been around forever she's got to be done i think she's actually done finally uh, as a super senior but um yeah if they can do better than they did against Iowa State. They gave up more than 60, lost that game, uh, and, and play some defense, then I, I like where they can be. One thing that I loved is they block shots in that Big 12 championship game. Um, and, you know, Texas has more height, even with, you know, one big down in Aaliyah Moore, right? Um, they have more height than they've had in the past. If they can get uh, some scoring outside of just dumping it into the bigs, but you also, you know, get some some rebounding with that height. They, they've been great at blocking shots, but could be i still think a, a a step up in the rebounding department if they can do that against uh 
Louisville as, as well as obviously East Carolina to start, um, then, then I think they're in a, a good position. So your viewing schedule for this week, check out the men's game on Thursday. Theoretically, if Texas wins, then you'll have the men's second round game on Saturday afternoon. The ladies, their first game will be Saturday night at 10 p.m. on ESPN, so you can check them out. Support the ladies because they are going to make a deep run. I'm calling it. I'm calling it right now. As the number next to their name might imply, the number two women's track team finished as the runner-up at the Indoor Nationals this past weekend because of the efforts of uh, folks like Julian Alfred, who once again broke her own record, uh, running the second fastest 60 meter ever, uh, setting the collegiate record with a 6.94. Uh, she actually owns nine of the fastest 60 meters in school history. Uh, she also decided to break the record for the 200 meter. She was also part of a uh, of the relay team that finished as a runner-up. Texas did its thing, the ladies, uh, in a battle with Arkansas to get this done, and unfortunately came up just a little bit short. Yeah, it was actually a, you know, a lot of drama, right? After, um, after everything that Julian Alford did, it came down to the final 4x400 race, and Texas went out and performed fantastically. They set a new school record for the fastest time ever run by a Texas 4x4 team, but they took second place to an Arkansas team that set a new collegiate record in that one. So, I mean... To Arkansas's credit, they earned it. They won a national championship. Texas didn't lose it. They 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 yep. won it, right? The the other event that probably determined this was the four hundred meter um, that uh, Rasadat Adelike finished runner up in, right? She she fell to a record breaking performance from from Britain uh, Wilson, right? Like uh, you had a runner who held the collegiate all time record. And Adeleke, and someone went out and beat it. So in two events, Arkansas went above and beyond, right? Texas was phenomenal. Um, there were uh, great performances all around. Akilah Smith, you know, I think when when Tara Davis left, it's like, well, what do the jumpers have? Coach Flo's always got jumpers. Um, first uh, Longhorn to ever finish top three in, in both the jumping events, number two in the long and number three in the triple jumps. Christine Blazovica, friend of the pod, finished fifth in the pentathlon. Um, and... I just want to go back because I don't, Gerald spelled it all out, but I, I, I want to make sure our listeners listen as we say it again. Julian Alfred just passed Logan Eggleston, and I hate to say that, as the best Longhorn <laughs> on campus this year. And that's that's tough because Eggleston, such a legendary run to that championship. But Julian Alfred is, is not just the best like college runner. She's the best track athlete in the world right now. Like She is that. She's setting records. She is running times that no human has 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 beat right she is the fastest woman on the planet like she absolutely i think will win the bowerman because after the 60 which we knew was her race and she like Cheryl said is in the nine fastest times she just went and set the fastest ever college record and only one person 30 years ago a jamaican sprinter marlene Adi, who was called queen of the track um who has herself like you know 30 different records uh in the 90s uh is the only person who's ever broken 22 seconds ever in the history of track and field. Uh, the only woman who's ever broken 22 seconds. And Julian Alfred ran a 22.01. Like, she's doing stuff that nary has ever been done in, in recorded human history. So uh, put some respect on Julian Alfred's name. I'm, I'm glad we have outdoor track so we can continue to watch um, her dominance because she really is, like, putting herself on that on that uh, all-time rush more and i mean you really need to make sure you're paying attention because i don't know if you're aware but the summer olympics are next summer so it's quite likely that this is her potential last go around for the longhorns both indoor and outdoor because she is going to represent say lucia in the uh, outdoor olympics i would 
put any sort of money on her being one of the podium athletes for several events for St. Lucia. This is the last year, likely, of her in burnt orange. On the men's side, the men finished sixth. Uh, it was not the season we thought that the men would have, but still a solid outing from them uh, heading into the outdoor season. Yeah, absolutely. A little, little. You know, I'm not going to complain about a top ten finish, right? Leo Nuge also had a uh, a third in the heptathlon, broke Trey Hardy's record. You love, we love the Nuge on this podcast. Um, we love Trey Hardy on this podcast too. We we do. That is true. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, it sounded like just absolute shots fired at Trey. Um, no, but they, they scored, I think, with some jumps as well. Um, it was good. They just, you know, even though they had more representatives technically than the women who made it to nationals, they weren't able to score uh, in as many events. So, you know, it's it's. I'm not going to say that number six, finishing sixth, is a bad year. We kind of knew this year that they were, they were an outside shot to be a top three team um, after a couple indoor races. We'll see what they're able to pull together uh, in the outdoor with, with some of the field events being added in and, and some other, uh, some other races that aren't in indoors. So um, I think, I think it's still a chance that this is a good season, but when you're the reigning national championship and you lose it, that is tough. But look, I, I'm not going to sit here and criticize a top six director's cup point finish for um, a really good track team and again I don't know that we thought we would just own the 800 so kudos to bringing in a, a new coach for the distance to middle distance and him putting um, immediately his stamp on the 800 by getting a one and two podium finish in that one yeah don't hear me saying that this was a bad season overall but you know when it comes to Texas track there's a there's an expectation that we have and I think we're a bit spoiled but up next for the track team they'll start their outdoor season they don't get much time off this weekend traveling to Tampa for the USF Invitational on Friday and Saturday and that brings us to the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40 we talked about it last week the baseball team needs to crack off a significant run ahead of conference play to really uh, set themselves up to not fall flat on their faces. But they got that started with an undefeated week. They beat Mercer and then swept Manhattan 11-3 over Mercer on Wednesday, 8-1 on Friday over Manhattan, 10-4 on Saturday, 16-6. That one was a little bit more spicy than we thought it would be, but... Still a solid week overall, especially from the pitching staff. Yeah, absolutely. Lucas Gordon looked phenomenal. Um, six innings, no hitter. Uh, Saturday, Zane, Zane Morehouse gave up five hits, two earned runs, got a no decision, but Max Grubbs came in. Travis Stilley, like, he, he got a win, and I'm glad he got off the schneid. Five innings, five earned. Um, glad that the bats could come, right? We, we said that as, you know, the arms had started off first and the bats just were lagging behind. This was a weekend where, you know, we're uh, technically a week, right? Because we talked about Sam Houston while we recorded last week. So it was five of them yeah. really this week. But um, let's call it since we last recorded, they, they basically, you know, scored double digits in, in three out of four and eight in the other one, right? So this is a really, that's a really good um, response for the bats. Uh, I like to see that. Um, a guy who I'm just, I believe, going to take full credit, actually. I'm going to take full credit uh, for everything uh, because in the last podcast, I said, watch out for Peyton Powell starting to put the ball in the park. Um, well, Powell is now on an eight-game hit streak, hitting 518 in the month of March with 11 RBIs. He did it across multiple of these games, got a home run, had an RBI double. Um, he's just seeing the ball really well. We've seen him in really, really limited at-bats. He's been here three years now, technically redshirted, 
uh, as a freshman and then had a freshman, redshirt freshman, and then a, you know, obviously redshirt sophomore year. So he's been on campus for a little while, but he's always been kind of a pinch hitter. Um, he's come in, I think he had a, a, a pinch hit, maybe even a pinch hit RBI in, in a college world series game. So he's, he's not afraid of the lights. It's just a chance to get the opportunity. He also made a really great diving uh, defensive play at third base in this one. So I think he has earned himself with the hot bat, a chance to, uh, to get some more bats. Peyton Powell hitting with power for mm. the Horns. Next up for them, they've got a Tuesday, Wednesday, two-step against North Dakota State, and then they've got the UNO Privateers, great mascot for the weekend. Gerald, sorry, I have to ask, did, did you see the UNO uh, University of New Orleans Privateers, uh, anything that they did this this weekend, Any anything pop up on your radar? I, did, I don't believe so. I'm excited to find out. Okay, so there was, I think it was a, a Friday or a Saturday game against Mississippi Valley State where they were oh, up. this was like, the ump thing. Yeah, they were up like ah. seven, to, seven to three. And so the clip that went viral was the third strike with, with two outs in, in the bottom of the last inning. Um, the, in that entire at bat, if you watch the whole thing, the first strike was also horrendous. Um, he got that dude twice with just some absolute BS calls. That umpire has since been uh, suspended. But they... On the third strike that went viral, it was a, you know, Uno pitcher threw one in the other batter's box, and the umpire clearly had uh, dinner reservations that he wasn't getting out of. And New Orleans, it's a great city to eat in. I get it. Um, There's a po' boy waiting on him. <laughs> and he uh, calls it, the, the, the batter rightfully, you know, goes ballistic. The catcher did a good job calming him down, saying, that wasn't a strike. You're not crazy. Like, classy move. But then I think maybe with all the attention on the game, New Orleans came out the next game and dropped yeah. 30, 30 runs on them. 35 to be 30, exact. 35 in, in six innings, right? They uh, they called it seven. in se- Well, they called it in seven. They didn't bat in the bottom of the seventh. So in six <laughs> rounds of it bats, they scored 35 runs. So I just looked this up. You know what they did on Sunday? They run ruled them again 16 to three. Look, I'm not. I'm not saying that that New Orleans is the best baseball team in the country, but they are the most interesting right now between that that play going viral and then scoring 35 runs, which, you know, is is close to a record. It gets close to what was the like Georgia Tech over someone scored 200 points in football back in the 1900s. You just don't see 35 runs in baseball. I think Auburn or Clemson, someone did that a couple years ago, got in the 30s. It's just like after 24, it's hard to keep like, kicking a corpse like you know what i mean it's it's a lot of runs eventually you're just hitting a dead body uh 51 runs in two games for the privateers they're probably going to come back to earth a little bit they've got lsu in their midweek and then they're coming to austin softball unfortunately saw their win streak snapped but did some good work ahead of that they actually uh took care of uh of wisconsin and alabama in a doubleheader on friday 5-1 over the badgers and 5-3 over the crimson tide on friday uh took care of wisconsin again 7-4 on saturday and then went to extras on both sunday games of the doubleheader a 4-3 loss to the Crimson Tide in 11, and then a 5-4 loss to the Texas State uh, Bobcats in 9. I love the freshmen on this team. I really, really do. I think, you know, 
you see those big numbers next to people's names and, and the three lowest, I guess, number recruits on this are showing out. Uh, Sitlali Gutierrez continues to be really, really good. Um, had a, you know, a great outing against Wisconsin in the first one. Leanne Good and Viviana Mar- Martinez um, are like both top five in the country in hits right now as true freshmen um, infielders who can, who can play around, you know, with, with Mia Scott, who's also been, been doing great as a sophomore. She's old news, uh, but this is a young team, right? And so a young team, you see, uh, some really good ups and, and a little bit of unevenness, but look, they had an 11 game you know win streak until they they lost that at what was it third game of this tournament. So um, I want to point out when they played number nine Alabama the first time, Mac Morgan came in and looked great, and she outpitched in, in Texas, outplayed uh, a really good Alabama team, but they beat Montana Fouts. Like Montana Fouts is. Yeah has an 80% career winning percentage. She's like 81 and 20 in her career. She's uh, the 2021 National Pitcher of the Year, three-time All-American. She just last week threw a perfect game, I think the second of her career. The famous one, obviously, she threw in the College World Series against UCLA. But, like, she's she's 98% of Kat Osterman good. Like, she's phenomenal. Um, and Texas got a win against her. So that's a big deal. The, the second game she pitched again and, and um, you know, that that's the one that they lost in 11 innings. So they really are playing the best teams really well this year. Um, uh, falling in extra innings in, in their two losses is, is tough, but it's, it's, it's character building when I talk about being young, uh, you know, across the board, both pitching and, and all over the field. Um, you learn from this stuff. It's good to get it in early, and I, I, you know, I'm not upset with a couple losses here in extra innings when it was, you know, it's it's stretching them and it's it's growing them and it's stuff they'll store away for the the, the postseason. Yeah, and even in that Sunday loss, like Texas could have folded in that early loss to Alabama. They were down 3-0 in the second inning, and they came back and sent it to extras. Right? They they scored three in the third and the fourth, and then the game goes 11 innings. Right? That's a team that's battling, and this is not a team that we really, you know, we talk about the baseball team losing a lot the softball team lost like Janae Jefferson which is I don't want to say softball goat but she's in the conversation Texas still has the cat right so like it's hard to call anybody the goat and cat Osterman but like Janae Jefferson is like a 1a I wouldn't get mad at you if you argued her so like the softball team lost a bunch as well so um, this is not a team that we were expecting to be battling and, and especially with the way that the season started for them they're really starting to show some of that growth and maturity that they're going to need to compete. And I think uh, Coach White is getting them right. And I think that obviously the win over Alabama, but even battling back from that loss, like that's one that you could absolutely fold. And they went and touched one of the best, the best hit of, one of the best pitchers in the world right now uh, and forced extras. Yeah, that's that's Olympian uh, Montana Fouts as well, representing the, the U.S. team in the last Olympics um, with Kat Osterman, which is a crazy span of um, life. But uh, I think we said it on the last pod, Kat welcomed in another daughter. Congrats to her. But if Kat is the goat, if she's the cat, then I'm going to go as far as to say Janae was the bat because she's the the greatest Ooh, field nice. uh, player for, for Texas. But Leanne Good coming in doing her best Janae impression as a true freshman in that Texas State game, which again, they lost to nine in the seventh inning. She had a 13 pitch at bat fouling off six straight until she put a ball in play to keep the rally going and to ultimately be the tying run to get them to extras. So this is a team that, like we said, is fighting and it's the young players fighting, right? It's, you know, they have some some seniority on this team for sure, um, but it is a lot of young players who, you know, every one of these at-bats, every one of these hits, every one of these wins, every one of these battles is is adding to uh, their growth as, you know, this year and the years to come. 
Next up for the ladies, they're also heading to Tampa. Maybe they'll share some flights with uh, Spring Break, baby. Spring Break, right? Spring Break in Tampa, not bad. But going, they've got Sam Houston State on Tuesday. And then going to the South Florida showdown uh, against Maris, USF, Lehigh, and Iowa. Number two men's tennis downs number 25 Stanford on the road. Five to two scored the doubles point in four singles matches for their ninth top 25 win of the year. Number one, Elliot Spaziri continues to look like the the best uh, college tennis player in the country. Added another top 10 a top 15 victory on the season. He's got a few top 10s as well uh, over number 13 off Arthur Ferry uh, from Stanford. Number 18, uh, Oldieb got both the singles and doubles win. Cleve got a singles. Uh, Nevin and Millie also picked up a singles win. But Spaziri, Spaziri is the type of player that makes Texas a a danger to win the whole dang thing. Absolutely. He's definitely got a shot at uh, a solo championship, and he'll obviously try to carry his team to the team championship as well. They've got NC State on Tuesday, and then, again, USF on Saturday, and then they'll start conference play. We'll record before that, but they've got number one TCU looming next weekend. On the ladies' side, number 12 women's tennis, they open Big 12 play with a one-and-one one week. They actually beat uh, OU pretty handily, 5-2, to two, but then fell to Oklahoma State uh, in kind of a, a late uh, rally from the cow, the Cowgirls. Uh, tough drop for them, but uh, overall promising start to conference play. Yeah, uh, see if they can kind of equal that out. I think they've won the Big 12 like five years in a row. I don't want to see that end. Um, so let's uh, get, get it figured out here with the you have the state of Oklahoma now you move to a state that I think is a little bit easier on the tennis court and they could put together back-to-back wins here they've got the Sunflower State two-step Kansas State on Friday Kansas on Sunday both in the road they'll be back uh, in Austin soon on the swimming side the men qualified 18 for the NCAA championship 15 swimmers and three divers uh, the ladies number two uh, in the country qualified 19 for the championships 14 swimmers and five divers for context Texas uh, is right up there with the top teams with NC State uh, and Cal uh, as far as qualifiers on the ladies side uh, they're up there again with Ohio State Stanford and you uh, UF with a right around the same number of swimmers 16 swimmers 15 and 13 for NC State number one rowing open the season with a scrimmage against SMU in Dallas. They'll be off until April for the San Diego Crew Classic on on April Fool's Day. And then number six women's golf opens up their season and the Cactus Cup against Arizona State and San Jose State. They had a 4-0-2 win over South Carolina and a 4-2-0 win over San Jose State. Yeah, this one just wrapped as we're recording this on Monday night. Um, I think it was it was in Arizona, so it wrapped at about 9 p.m. our time. Um, they will play tomorrow uh, against Arizona State, but Sophie Guao won both of hers. Um, also wins from uh, Hugh Hio, Odwin, and Park across the two. So uh, really strong start. Uh, basically, out of the three, whoever has the, the, the most points uh, will win the Cactus Cup, which is the thing you always want to win. Um, so they're in a strong start with day one. They'll play just one match. Uh, against Arizona State on Tuesday. Gerald, let's take a little look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. And we got to start where everyone knows we'll start after, uh, I guess, booing them out of the park at Pro Day in the bubble. Uh, one, Daniel Trejo, a machete, a man who came, impacted us, gave us the memes, gave us, you know, the cheers, actual legitimately great uh, highlights. I still remember that 
Bama game, like this kid, are we? And he just did his thing. Um, seems to have marked his one year Longhorn legend. You know, Mike Antico's done it. Danny Trejo, yeah, the, the one year Longhorns, Calvin Anderson. There, there've been a few. Um, will declare officially for the NFL. So best of luck to Danny Trejo. You came in when we needed you. Um, I think Texas is transitioning likely to kind of the next era with the Stanford transfer punter, but um, Trejo officially declared. If you're going to break physics and punt the ball through the roof of the bubble, you absolutely should go pro. So good decision from him. <laughs> Fair enough. Gerald, this one was interesting. We, we knew it was coming, but it is finally here. My, uh, my social media was a little weird to see some of the volleyball players playing volleyball again, but they were outside. Uh, in Hawaii, which again may be the best reason to to play uh, beach volleyball as a sport. Like your the places you travel to for tournaments are California and Hawaii. So golf or volleyball is really where you want to get your scholarships, but or beach volleyball specifically. But beach volleyball kicking off their inaugural matches. Twenty twenty four will be the their first fully sanctioned year, but they're going out and playing some great teams, and again doing it in. Hawaii, which is uh, which is a great way to do it. A lot of familiar faces uh, from the national championship volleyball team. Some new faces between transfers who had made it in, and this is their first time playing for Texas. But most, I think all, I believe, of the people representing this team also uh, are playing on the uh, Gregory Gym hardwood. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they've got a few years before this thing becomes official, so like they'll they'll get they'll get up to it. Hawaii, Oregon, they're really good teams. Nebraska's really good. This is the first time out, right? Your first time out is never the greatest and we'll see how uh, how good they can get. Cal and Washington also a lot of top 10 teams. They're staying in Hawaii to play one more this week uh against number 9 Hawaii. So again, it's just like why not why not stay in Hawaii for all the spring break, right? Could be worse. Uh, I guess than than going to uh, play beach volleyball in Hawaii and get uh, your school paid for it. So um, not quite as 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 glamorous as Hawaii, um, but Scotty Scheffler uh, went ahead and won the the players championship in Palm Valley, Florida this weekend. Um, Scotty is a phenom, and I'll just leave it at that. I'm going to talk a little bit. I'll tip my hand here a little bit more about Scotty and exactly what he's done as he started his career in my bang the drum. But I just don't feel like Scotty's getting enough enough love uh, as a Longhorn legend because he truly is, and he's writing his own legend. Another Longhorn who will start to write his legend, freshman Christian Moss, was named to the Fred Haskins Award uh, spring watch list, the first one of the spring. 15 people named to this to the award goes to the nation's top golfer. He's one of only two freshmen. So impressive. Texas keeps the pipeline churning in the golf. Vic Schaefer, we mentioned uh, that he's won Big 12 Coach of the Year. He also was named a semifinalist for the Naismith Women's College Coach of the Year. Um, and then two other awards, one of them directly Texas. Chris Plonsky honored as the 2023 WBCA Administrator of the Year. And then Danny Davis from the Austin American Statesman, covering a lot of Texas, was also named by the WCA 2023 uh, one of the Writers of the Year. So Big ups to Danny Davis, who might be my favorite person over at the Statesman uh, currently, and Chris Plonsky, who's been doing this thing for a long time. All right, Joe, let's take it home with our last two segments here, starting with Godzilla Tron. What are you watching on your giant screen? 
not watching a ton right now. Uh, we road tripped it down to the ancestral Goodrich home in Shirts, Texas, and so I finished off Hero of Ages. Um, if you if you're a fantasy book person, read that series. You probably already have because I'm just late to the show, but like uh, it, it capped it off really well. The third book, like I, I said a while ago, I think when I started reading it, like a month and a half or two months ago, took a while, but I grabbed the audio book for the drive, and it was great. I love the way it ended. Uh, it wasn't really a twist, but it was unexpected, and I really appreciated that. It worked really well. It checked out. Uh, and then if you're not up, The Last of Us finale uh, was this last weekend. Uh, if you're not watching The Last of Us, it's a great show. HBO continues to dominate the everybody doesn't want to go to work tomorrow, so let's stay up, wait, and watch TV market. Um, in The Last of Us, the season, the season finale, they finished it up in the same way that they finished uh, the game, uh, the first game. And so it's one of the most interesting video game discussions or kind of morality discussions that come out of video games uh, is now now uh happening in the TV world too and it's really interesting to see that I love those types of narratives I love having those discussions about uh, those types of things if you know what I'm talking about you do it if you don't you don't which is why I said it like that because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody but Last of Us finale is great uh, the whole season was great Pedro Pascal was incredible uh, Lady Mormont absolutely killed it did a great job and uh, excited to see how people react to season two because I guarantee you they're going to be mad okay um, I like I like people getting mad. Um, one of my favorite parts of people consuming television. This might be a show that makes people mad. I don't know. Shouldn't. It's amazing. What I watched, I started season two finally of the sneak hit um, from, I think, 2020 when it actually came out during uh, pandemic, summer 2020, P-Valley. Um, this is definitely a, um, a make sure your kids are asleep show. Um, you can imagine what the P stands for in the original um, screenplay uh, or play, I should say. Uh, but it's about a, um, I'll just say a strip club set in Chuckalisa, Mississippi. Um, I can't remember if I talked about P Valley originally, uh, if we even had this segment back then. But uh, I watched the first one in 2020. The second one came out in 2022. Uh, but I didn't watch it last year, um, last summer, just, just starting to get around. I only watched the first episode of season two, but it looks like it's it's captured a lot of the same things that made the first season pretty great and, and truly um, unique in, a, in a, a, a spectacle and something that was, uh, there was nothing else like it, right? It's probably not for everyone. It's set, it's in, you know all black cast in, in the deep south in a strip club. Like, I get why there's some people who aren't interested in the story that is told there. There's, um, you know, they play with, with vice and they play with um, lust and greed and it is a bit of a melodrama. Um, but it's equal parts southern gothic and it tells like a, you know, Faulkner-esque, like slightly that, that little southern mystical story that just captures the hearts for hundreds of years in a way that I really love. I haven't seen anything quite like this. There's a couple characters who just you've never seen anything like in novel or uh, television depiction, um, Uncle Clifford, namely. Um, but it's really interesting. It's obviously like there's a lot of drama. There's equal parts as, to Southern Gothic. It's also a soap opera. Um, so if it's not, you know, if that's going to turn you off when it's like, oh, that's ridiculous, then it's not for you. But if you can suspend that and just enjoy... 
Um, an interesting cast, a really interesting setting, um, some laughs, some shocks, some like just unique story told in, you know, a place that's probably a ripe with stories, but uh, not particularly uh, mined, right, in the American discourse. Um, the the uh, Southern Mississippi Strip Club, I don't know. Bee Valley's good. It's fun. Um, it's interesting. You'll laugh, you'll gasp. It's uh, it's a ride. Well, that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Uh, I was originally going to bang the drum on soup, um, that being uh, the Cans for Soup program that uh, PTS has uh, put in place, which, again, I, I jokingly tweeted that we should... Uh, we should create an NIL collective just to raise soup money for the players so they don't get their parking tickets. We know that the greatest defense against the Texas uh, offense and, and entire team last season was the parking and transportation services. They, they shut Quinn Ewers down. They shut many of the players down, as they have for, for decades, um, a greater rival than A&M or OU. Um, but... They have a one-time trade a can of soup, get out of a parking ticket as a uh, surprisingly uh, well-intentioned uh, fundraiser for for Austin Food Bank. So I, I will give PTS, who also got me a couple times and can be the bane of my existence, a little bit of credit on this one. It's it's a crafty and clever promotion that is running, I think, through uh, the next week. So if you're a student listening to this, get your soup in so you can get out of a ticket. Um, but what I will talk about, a man who is... Mm-mm, good, if you recall the Campbell's commercials of your youth. Scotty Scheffler is amazing. Like, we all love Jordan Spieth when he rose, and I feel like Spieth became the the successor to Tiger, and so he really, truly got all the media, all the every uh, praise and plaudit and the you know ESPN coverage. Scotty Scheffler is starting hotter than Spieth could have dreamed. Scotty Scheffler is starting his career... Uh, faster and more furious than almost anyone in the past four decades. Um, Only three players in the last 40 years have had less than 400 days between their first PGA Tour win and their sixth. So, Scotty, this weekend, as I mentioned, won at the players. Um, It looked a little dicey on the back nine, and then he just started holding shots in uh, and pulling away because he's that good at golf, Um, one of which were a ball... He's in a bunker and the ball's, you know, a foot above his feet and he chips that in. If you play golf, that's a wizardry shot. Um, but Scotty has been 392 days since his win at the Waste Management uh, Phoenix Open last year, um, which he won again for his fifth. And then this is his sixth uh, PGA Tour win. David Duvall did it in 322. If you remember, Duvall started off really hot um, and, and had a great career. Uh, the only other player to do it faster is is Tiger in 273, which is ludicrous um, and nearly impossible. But what a list, right? When when you and Tiger are two of the three guys who've ever done something, um, it's pretty special. And I think it's about time we start really recognizing that Kevin Durant is still at the apex of his powers on the professional level, you know, needs to stay healthy and do something with the Suns here in the you know remaining few years he has. But very quickly... Scotty Scheffler is going to be the professional level most dominant Longhorn. So we got to give Scotty his flowers. He's a man who's absolutely on top of his craft, dominating right now. And honestly, I don't see a challenger. Rom looks like he could give him, you know, some trouble. They could have some good Tiger and Phil battles. But in that matchup, Scotty is the Tiger. 
uh, to to John Rahm being being the Phil Mickelson. So uh, enjoy it. You have the world's number one golfer, a Longhorn, and he doesn't look to be going anywhere anytime soon. Again, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I really appreciate players who let Texas lean into the rich school country club atmosphere. Clumping in the drum this week on college coaches and their bad behavior. This is highlighted by two events this week. One, uh, Chris Beard was hired by Ole Miss in an announcement that literally glossed over the entirety of his Texas career in the same week where his uh, successor, Mark Adams at Texas Tech, air quotes, resigned after um, a pattern of behavior that proved that he was likely unfit to lead young men, uh, culminating in him uh, using a clobber verse from the Bible that was used to justify uh, slavery in the United States for uh, years, but that's neither here nor there. Part of the conversation, or the conversation I really want to have is just like, when we think about how coaches should be, I'm not saying that coaches need to be soft. I'm not saying that we all need to, uh, all the things that you, everybody accuses the next generation of being, right? We don't need to be soft. We don't need to be, that all that people have been saying is wrong with the next generation since generations have existed. What I am saying is there is a way to coach tough and to have authority over your players and to demand the respect that you deserve without it being uh, abusive and without it being unearned. Because you know what? There's an example of that right on the University of Texas campus, and that's Vic Schaefer, right? When you talk about someone who's led with their faith, that's led with their principles, that's led uh, in a way that honestly is very hard. It's very tough. He has publicly called out players from the podium post-game when they do not get it done. And we talk so much about the coaches that are doing it wrong. We spent a lot of ink talking about Chris Beard and running players off. And we talk a lot about Mark Adams uh, saying it's okay to spit on a player because he's their coach, right? But we don't talk about how Vic Schaefer has held his players accountable publicly and privately. And guess what? Nobody walked off the court mid-game. That hasn't happened to him yet, right? That's not the world he's in. Yes, he's had some transfers, and Vic Schaefer's not for everybody, but with the way that the team reacted and uh, when he was announced as coach of the year, you can tell that he does it in a way that is not um, – that is not unearned authority. That is not you say you do what I say because my position. He has earned their respect. He has earned their love, and he has earned the right to be tough on them because you cannot lead somebody who you do not love. And it is very clear that the love that Vic Schaefer has for his teams is reciprocated. And so as we think about what coaches should be, Vic Schaefer is a great example. And so I, I wanted to take this time to use the negative examples to highlight the incredible positive example we have on the University of Texas campus, and that's Vic Schaefer doing it right. A person who's led by his, his faith and his principles is a tough, hard-nosed coach, uh, but his team loves him for it, and the results on the court prove that it's a winning formula. And next year, Vic will take that mentality back to the SEC where it just means more. I mean, this is the SEC where Hugh Freeze just got hired and Chris Beard just got hired and – AM employs both Bobby Petrino and DJ Durkin, right? Like it, it, there is a, it just means more and, and basically winning is the, what's, what's implied with the it's right. And, and kind of it is all that matters again, implying winning. Um, and some schools will sacrifice any moral high ground or cachet to get there. Um, I love having coaches like Sark to some extent as well, like Vic, like Shaka, who was that didn't, and you know, at, 
getting the wins at UT, but you see it working out for him at Marquette. Um, I love having those coaches. And, and again, you, you highlighted Vic because he probably is the perfect example uh, of also, you know, doing it right, but getting the results as well. So if Texas can just really uh, get an entire staff of those guys. And if you look at current players and former players, uh, they seem to think Rodney Terry might be that guy. We'll see uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, yeah, that, you know, let's, let's, Let's have a, a roster full uh, of those guys of uh, and, and 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 women as well who uh, who who are who are tough who are fair um, but ultimately who grow these players with their access to them as young adults and and shape them into you know post college uh, champions. And that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with an update from all the NCAA tournament happenings and all of that fun stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, welcome. Welcome. Pick Texas to win it all in your brackets, you cowards. You cowards.